Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayWay.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Ray Way on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching. As always, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode, and I'm so excited. We have Dr. Hedberg here, and he is the author of The Complete Thyroid Health and Diet Guide, and the host of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. I don't even know how I ran into this podcast, but literally the whole time you were talking, I was like, amen, yes, absolutely. Isn't that funny? Like I've been literally counting down the days until this interview because I'm such a huge fan of yours, and it's just such an honor to be you know, talking with you today. So thanks so much for being on our show. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we've received an overwhelming number of questions for you. We did a po- we did a post saying that you were going to be on here, and so we got a ton of them. We won't even be able we we didn't even put all of them on here. So just so you know, because we knew we weren't going to have time for it. But if you're willing to come back, so if your question isn't answered this week, gang, uh, just know that we might be able to have him back on. And I love your book; it's absolutely amazing. Um, a bunch of the the, you know, things that are in there are a bunch of thyroid friendly recipes, which makes it really practical. So what made you, what caused you to write this book? Well, it was just really out of necessity. I've been working with patients with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism for about 15 years now. And so it was just a matter of putting it all together, what I found worked and what I thought everyone should know. It's just kind of a guide so you can get an overall understanding of what could keep, what could be causing your thyroid problem and then some general recommendations on how to turn that around. Awesome. And what's your favorite recipe that's in there? Well, probably the pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Everybody's favorite. So yeah. Awesome. And so do you offer virtual consultations for patients all over the U S yeah, in the U.S. and internationally, we have people awesome. in, in foreign countries as well. That's awesome. Well, we've got so many questions, so let's jump right in. This first question is from Loretta in a- Alabama. She says, when I'm eating super clean, my thyroid seems to function at a much more optimal level. Do you think there are certain foods that I should avoid and certain foods that I should try to eat a lot of when I'm trying to regulate my thyroid? Right, so the uh, thyroid... Really, the, the best foods for the thyroid aren't really that much different than a, a healthy diet for anybody, but I can give you a few more specifics. Okay. Uh, the, the first is uh, protein. 
uh, for women, usually about one palm-sized portion of protein. For men, two palm-sized portions of protein. And that's because protein has a high thermic effect. So 30% of the calories you eat from protein are used to metabolize the protein itself that you just ate compared to carbs and fat, which are down around 4% and uh, I think around 8 8-9%. So that, uh, that gives you a nice boost to metabolism as long as you're doing that. Uh, the second thing would be uh, vegetable intake, usually about one to two fist sizes of vegetables. And this can be any kind. I know uh, goitrogens are kind of a, a controversial topic, but uh, as, as long as they're, they're cooked right and uh, they're eaten in moderation, then it's not something that, that you really need to overly worry about. And then with carbohydrates, um, this is going to be different for everybody. So a lot of women tend to not do as well on a, an extremely low carbohydrate diet. A lot of times they, they crash or they become a little bit more sluggish and uh, adding in a little bit of carbs uh, usually helps those women. So really the, some of the best carbs are going to be like sweet potatoes, uh, black rice, quinoa, buckwheat, things like that, things that are low glycemic. And same thing with fruits. You want those low glycemic as well. Uh, mainly berries are, are usually my favorites as far as uh, not spiking your blood sugar too mm -hmm. much. And then fats, uh, you want a good balance. So one important thing to note is that certain polyunsaturated fats actually inhibit thyroid function. So that would be corn oil, soybean oil, uh, canola oil, and safflower oil. Those can all inhibit thyroid. So what is your opinion about gluten then? Do you think that that people who have Hashimoto's or have thyroid issues should stay away from gluten? Right. I mean, the vast majority of patients with Hashimoto's should be 100% gluten-free. Once, once I, I, when I'm working with a patient, once they are 100% and feeling great, then we'll have them just try it and see how they do. How they and do. There's, a, there's a small percentage of patients who are able to eat gluten in moderation if they have Hashimoto's. Uh, but again, that's a very small percentage. So it's not a, a 100% answer. Yeah. For, me, for me personally, I literally, I have to do in order, for, and I have uh, Hashimoto's and I have thyroid issues. For me personally, I have to do a paleo diet where I'm just not eating any grains and not eating dairy. In in my book, I talk about eating the 80-20 principle where I feel like, you know, you should be eating 80% what you want that's that's healthy and 20% kind of eating what you want. But but if you have a major issue with Hashimoto's or thyroid issues, for me personally, I just have to get rid of the 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 grains, just all grains in general and dairy. Um, in order for my thyroid to function at maximum, maximum capacity. All right. Jessica in Chapel Hill says, I get my blood work done and my fast, I got my blood work done and my fast, fasting blood sugar was at 108. Is this something I should be concerned with? And what is the recommended age range for my blood sugar levels when I'm fasting? Right. So the current range on lab core is 65 to 99 for fasting blood sugar so if it goes above 99 then 
that's considered prediabetes. So that would be a concern that you'd want to discuss with your doctor. Even in that range, though, 65 to 99, I like to see it lower, less than 85 is something mm-hmm. that I look at as at an optimal range, about 65 to 85. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, that is a big concern. Um, so that's, that's my recommended range. Most functional medicine practitioners usually fall in, fall in that uh, particular range less than. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Okay. Rebecca in Maryland, it says I have rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis. I definitely have autoimmune issues. Are there any supplements you recommend to help with these? I feel like I'm taking so many different supplements and I wonder if they're helping me or are they damaging my liver? I'm currently taking a probiotic, selenium, zinc, multivitamins, vitamin D, calcium, vitamin C, and vitamin A and vitamin E. Is this too much? I can't give any specific recommendations for uh, particular cases, but I can give some some general things to think about here. So the, the first thing is that, you know, if you have rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis, those are highly inflammatory conditions. And so the focus is mainly going to be on the GI, the gut. And then as far as supplementation goes, really the top anti-inflammatories are going to be fish oils. And uh, that dose is going to be patient specific. Uh, Quercetin, curcumin, black cumin seed oil, uh, vitamin D. Those are some of the top anti-inflammatory. And so the, these, do you have, like, if someone becomes a patient with you and they do it all via the phone, do you have some of these, um, pharmaceutical grade vitamins that you sell people once they become your patient? We don't sell supplements, uh, but we do work with, uh, one manufacturer and, uh, patients are just able to order directly from them. And those are, those are pharmaceutical grade. Which is which is the company you and you like working with? We use we use Moss Nutrition for about ninety eight percent of what we use in practice. Gotcha. And what you know, it's funny. I just was watching. I only watch TV probably like once a week. Um, one of my I, I love this show. Um, you probably never heard of it, I know, but it's called Shaws of Sunset on Bravo. I absolutely love it. It's like the one show I watch on TV. But anyway, so as I was watching it, have you heard of the show? Have you even heard of it? I didn't think so. <laughs> So um, that one, the on the commercial, literally, it was unbelievable. But I was watching, and every other commercial was like for Humira or rheumatoid arthritis, or I mean, it, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it used to be like it was like always like food or cars, but I'm telling you, when I watched this show, there was probably six commercials, and four out of the six were some drug that had to deal with psoriasis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, um, Crohn's disease. I mean, it was just one thing after another. Uh, Stellara, Humira, you know, just on and on. So what what is your opinion um, on these, these different uh, drugs? Do you feel like people should 
try to go the natural method? Would you say if, if after you've tried more of a natural approach and tried doing it that way, you should go for it? What is your opinion on those? So those drugs are absolutely necessary in some cases, but you know, I practice functional medicine. So the approach first is to try and figure out what's wrong and try and fix it holistically. Um, so that's, that's how I would approach it myself. Um, and you know, you don't really have a lot to lose trying things, uh, naturally before you go for the medications, but sometimes people are, it's, they're just having such a difficult time that those meds are, are absolutely necessary. And those medications, they can be taken at the same time while you're working on all the other things that you should be working on, like your diet and your gut and everything else. But yeah, those, those medications are, are effective in some cases. Gotcha. Have you seen anyone with really bad negative consequences from taking them? Really the, the one that, that causes the most amount of problems that I've seen is taking prednisone for a long period of time. And that's, okay. that's not just me, you know, that's well documented mm-hmm. in uh, conventional medicine that you really need to be aware of all the side effects from prednisone. Gotcha. Okay. This is Sarah in Virginia Beach. I really enjoyed your last podcast about adrenal fatigue, but I still don't totally understand how the thyroid and adrenal glands are related. Are they even related at all? How do I know for sure if I have adrenal fatigue? Okay, so the, the, there is an intimate connection there. So there's two parts of the adrenal gland. One part makes adrenaline, and adrenaline does inhibit thyroid function. So anything that can stress you out physically or psychologically that will raise your adrenaline and that can inhibit thyroid function. And then the other part of the, of the adrenal gland makes cortisol and DHEA and aldosterone and uh, cortisol also inhibits thyroid function. And that's produced when you're under stress. So basically you're just looking at, at the connection between too much stress, too much cortisol, too much adrenaline, and it has a negative effect on thyroid function. Now, so how do you know if you have adrenal fatigue? So lately there's been things written, you know, does adrenal fatigue actually exist? Um, there's, a, there's a paper out that says that it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter um, if, if you can actually name it as adrenal fatigue. Basically what you want to do is do what's called a Dutch test through Precision Analytical. That's the lab that we use and it's uh, urinary testing for the adrenals. And if your, um, your metabolized cortisol and your, your DHEA is just extremely low, then that's a good indicator that the adrenals are, are, are fairly fatigued. And that should be something that, that you should look at. Okay. This is Christine in Indiana. I was watching YouTube and there was a video that said one of the reasons you could be constipated is because you don't have enough bile in your system. Can you explain how this work and works and what can I do to fix it? We get a lot of questions because I always talk about in my show how I'm always constipated. So we always get all these questions about constipation. So what, right. what would you say is, what does that mean if someone says you don't have enough bile in your system? Right. So bile is made by the gallbladder or it's made by the liver and it's uh, housed in the gallbladder. 
and then it's released when you eat food, mainly fat. So the bile is there to digest fat, emulsify it so that you can absorb it. And it also has kind of a detergent-like property where it uh, really cleans out the digestive tract. So if, if it's low, then you have to ask the question, you know, why isn't the liver making it or is there gallbladder dysfunction? That could be a lot of different things. It could be food sensitivities like gluten and dairy, et cetera. Stress has a major impact on shutting down bile and the gallbladder. Certain deficiencies like magnesium deficiency, vitamin C can affect it. If you're taking progesterone and you don't really need it or you're taking too much, that can inhibit a bile flow. So there's a lot of things. They're also just a very high fat diet. You know, one of the things that's in vogue right now is the ketogenic diet and uh, bulletproof type coffee. And that's going to work for some people, but genetically, some people have a very difficult time with high fat diets and they're not healthy for them at all. And that goes back to the, there's no one single best diet for everybody. So as far as how to fix it, you really have to figure out why the bioproduction is low and, and why it's not flowing so well. Is there, is is there, there tests? Like, can you take a test? Um, like if I came to you and said, okay, can you test my bile and see, is my bile function low? Is that a test that you do? Is that a stool test? Yeah, you can't test for bile specifically, but you can do a stool test. And what we do is we look at the, it's called the steatocrit. And that tells us if there's too much fat in the, um, in the stool. And that's a good indicator if it's working well or if it's not working well. Awesome. Okay. Emily in Springfield. She says, I know that several of your guests on your podcast have talked about how a huge portion of your immune system resides in your gut and that it's so important to make sure that my gut is functioning at a high capacity. Do you think that your gut and your thyroid have a huge connection? I struggle with thyroid issues, major constipation, and I'm trying to figure out how to heal my gut. This is Emily in Springfield. Yeah, Yeah, there's definitely a a really intimate connection between the gut and the thyroid. In fact, I'll be writing a paper soon on the connection between the gut microflora and and Hashimoto's because there's direct connections there. Um, but so there's direct connections there with Hashimoto's and there's also connections with the conversion of T4 to T3 because about 40% of that happens in the gut. So there's a direct connection there with the activation of thyroid hormone. And then there's all these other connections that are indirectly related because the, the gut affects the adrenal glands and they can affect the thyroid and then the gut affects your blood sugar and blood sugar affects your thyroid. It affects your gut affects your mood. So if you're depressed or you're anxious, uh, that can affect your thyroid. And then if you're not sleeping well, that can affect your thyroid as well. And that could be because of the gut. So there's just tremendous direct and indirect connections there. So, so if someone says that, you know, like these are like the top three things that you could do to help heal your gut, what would you say they are? Uh, the top three would be number one, do everything you can to work on stress. Uh, that's 
clearly number one. And not just immediate stress, but if you have any kind of trauma history, and this goes back to childhood, they're called ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. We know that the more ACEs you have as a kid, the more likely you are to have an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's or have just any kind of illness as an adult. And this is something that's really the most overlooked aspect by most practitioners and people is the adverse childhood experience connection. So that's number one. Number two would be diet. That's fairly straightforward. And number three would be sleep. Uh, sleep is also often overlooked. A lot of people think just because they're getting seven to nine hours that that's okay, but the quality of the sleep might not be good for a number of reasons. What do you see some of those reasons as that they're not getting that quality sleep? So caffeine consumption during the day, alcohol consumption in the evening, uh, what they're eating for dinner. Um, and then another big thing is the use of devices later in the day, in the evening, like cell phones, tablets, uh, computers, the blue light from those will significantly decrease the quality of the sleep. Again, even if you're getting seven to nine hours, the quality may be decreased if you're looking at those things in the evening. Mm. So sleep hygiene is, is a major factor. All lights have to be completely out of the bedroom because your skin has light sensors and that will decrease the quality of the sleep. So we have to look at every single detailed aspect of the patient's uh, sleep hygiene and their environment to really get that under control. Awesome. Okay, Audrey in Tampa, she says, I've been reading a lot of articles about leaky gut syndrome, and I've had some issues with my thyroid and some skin issues like eczema and dermatitis. I've been reading a lot about candida and leaky gut, and I'm trying to figure out which one of the two that I have. What do you think is the best solution for it, and which do I have? So when we're looking for candida, we do a stool test, and that gives us a very clear picture if it's there or not. Leaky gut is not a binary thing. Uh, there's a spectrum. So for people who, who don't know what candida is, just give a brief overview of what candida is and we like the difference between candida and leaky gut. Yeah. So we all have candida. We all have yeast in our intestines. That's normal. The question is, is there too much? And so that's just yeast overgrowth, uh, either in a certain area of the intestine, like the, the small intestine or the large intestine or both. That's usually there because of antibiotics and poor diet, stress, constipation, dysbiosis, all those kinds of things can contribute to candida. Leaky gut, the, the technical term is gastrointestinal hyperpermeability. So it is a recognized condition, even in conventional medicine. All that means is that the gut barrier is compromised and things are getting into the body, into the bloodstream that wouldn't normally be there with a healthy gut barrier. So the gut barrier breaks down for a lot of the reasons that I mentioned earlier, and that causes that increased permeability. Hey guys, I'm so excited that my new book, Waste Away, The Chantel Rayway, is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and pretty much anywhere you can find books. But we also have the audiobook, the ebook, and my new recipe book that you can download all the recipes that I love that I make, and it's super cheap. It's all my favorites. 
Anyway, if you have a minute to write a review on Amazon, I would be ever grateful. Okay, next question. This is Krista in North Carolina. I've been recently reading a lot of articles on candida and I definitely have all of the symptoms. I know that I eat way too much sugar. The problem is, is that when you have candida, it's all I crave. In your book, and she's talking about my book, you talk about how I shouldn't deprive myself. So my issue is that if I deprive myself of sugar because of my candida and then I miss it too much and then I binge, how can I find the happy medium? It just sounds like the candida hasn't really been addressed because you can't treat it just with diet. So uh, what you'd want to do is is work with someone, a functional medicine practitioner who can test you and then address the candida, which is usually a fairly straightforward fix, you know, three to four weeks and, and it's gone and you're done. And then you won't have those cravings anymore. So you kind of give people supplements that they can take to kind of help with that candida. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, the cravings could be there for another reason other than the candida. So that's something else to be aware of. Gwen in Rochester. I have listened to a couple of your podcasts with your experts and doctors and hear them talk about the conversion of T4, T3, and reverse T3, and I still don't understand it. Can you have someone come on your show and explain this in a very, very simple, non-technical way so I can understand the difference between T4, T3, reverse T3, and TSH, and what should I be looking for? Yeah, so I'll try and make this as, as simple as possible. So your thyroid makes T4 and T3, and about 93% is T4, about 7% is T3. T3 is five times more active than T4. So a lot of your T4 has to be converted into T3. T3 is the hormone that actually... So let me just interrupt you right there. So so we've had people talk about that, that if, if you have Hashimoto's, what percentage of the people do you see that aren't able because the because of autoimmune issues that they aren't able to convert that T4 into the T3 and should just take, you know, just T3 to be able to, because their body can't convert that. What percentage of the people would you say are, that's their situation? Well, a couple of things to note there. Number one, 15 to 20% of the population has a genetic difficulty converting T4 to T3. So those are definitely the people that are going to do well on T4 and T3. The other 80 to 85% is just a matter of figuring out why they're not converting well. And that can be anything from stress to glutathione deficiency, selenium deficiency, uh, low ferritin levels, low iron storage. Um, There's a number of things that you have to look for. Once you figure out why they're not converting well and you fix that, then as long as they're in the 80 to 85%, they're fine just taking T4. So reverse T3 is just T4 that has converted into reverse T3. And reverse T3 actually blocks T3 receptors. So it has an inhibitory effect on thyroid function. And again, that happens when someone is under a lot of stress or they have chronic inflammation Anything that's stressing the body is going to increase reverse T3. 
So that's kind of the, I would say the simplest explanation about that, uh, those connections. Awesome. Thank you. It is confusing, you know, when people are, are trying to understand it. So it's funny that she asked that question. Okay. This question is from Terry in Chesapeake. I listened to your podcast with Elle and she talked about how some people, oh, this is funny that I already answered this question. So Terry and Chesapeake, I just answered your question without even knowing it. So we just answered that. It was about converting the T3 to T4. All right, Denise in Austin. Oh, I'm going to Austin in like two weeks. So maybe I can see you up there. It says, I have read some very conflicting articles about iodine for thyroid hormone production. Some articles say if your thyroid isn't functioning, you should take more iodine. And other articles say iodine will make your thyroid worse. So much contradicting information in what I'm reading in articles on Google. I'm really hoping one of the doctors can answer it for me. So iodine is actually very straightforward. So if you don't have Hashimoto's and you just have hypothyroidism, then you do want to check and see if you're deficient in iodine. If you have an iodine deficiency, then you can supplement with iodine to correct that deficiency. If you take too much iodine, then that will inhibit thyroid function. Now, if you have Hashimoto's, it's a different story because iodine will make Hashimoto's much, much worse. That's been fairly clear in the literature. Uh, So if you have Hashimoto's, you definitely want to avoid iodine or excess iodine. Now, if you have Hashimoto's and you're deficient in iodine, then you can take a very small amount. Like there's microgram doses in a good multiple vitamin, and that will slowly restore your levels. It's the high levels, the milligram doses, one milligram, 12.5 milligrams, 25 milligrams and up. Those are going to cause a lot of problems and potentially damage the thyroid gland. I read an article one time that said that most people, if they're using like, you know, just like the regular salt, you know, the iodine salt, that they wouldn't if, if they have that, if they're eating foods that have salt in it, that they wouldn't be low in iodine. Is that true? Or If they're eating iodized salt, then they're probably not going to be deficient in iodine. Yeah. So if they were like, maybe if they were eating like, what, what kind of salt would they be eating that they wouldn't be getting that iodine salt? Well, the, just the table salt, sodium chloride, the white salt that Mm -hmm. uh, you see everywhere in restaurants on the table, that doesn't, uh, that's not usually going to have any iodine in it. Okay. Uh, Get unrefined Celtic sea salt. There is, there's a very small amount in that, but you're not really going to get, you know, too much if, if you're consuming unrefined Celtic sea salt. Mindy in Oregon says, I went to a traditional doctor and they told me that my TSH level should be between 0.5 and 5. My thyroid was at 4.5 when I took the test and I'm absolutely exhausted. I talked to one of my friends and she told me that she feels best when her thyroid is at 1 or below. That is when she feels like a million bucks and has tons of energy. I know that for me at 4.5, I'm exhausted. And that was all she said. So we didn't have an actual question, but what, what would you say to Mindy in Oregon if she said that to you? 
you know, I I do agree that for for me myself, I I think I've said that on my show as well. I know that when my thyroid is at one one or one and a half or below, I feel a lot better. If my thyroid is higher than one or one and a half, I'm I know I'm I don't feel good. So to to answer her question, and this goes to Mindy and to to everyone listening, the one thing that you never ever ever want to do is make a decision about your own health or your own body based on what works for someone else. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that the uh, National Academy of Clinical Biochemists, uh, their range for, for hypothyroidism, uh, the higher level is 2.5. So 0.5 to 2.5 is generally a, a good range to look at. So if it's above that, someone can still have hypothyroid symptoms because the TSH is just not really that great of a test for some people in figuring out if they have an actual thyroid problem. Mm-hmm. So that's that range is just far too broad, 0. 0.5 right. to 5. Yes, I agree. Okay, next one. Um, it's Pamela in Atlanta. She says, I was listening to your podcast with Elle, and she said that she does not like Synthroid and prefers Nature Throid since it's natural. My primary care physician would not prescribe me Nature Throid because she said most of the doctors give Synthroid instead. She really encouraged me to take Synthroid and not Nature Throid. Why do you think that my natural, my primary care physician wanted me to have the Synthroid instead? Pamela in Atlanta. Right. So this is a good question. There's nothing wrong with, with Synthroid. Unfortunately, this is something that's just kind of circulates around the internet that because something isn't natural, that means it isn't good. And there's nothing wrong with Synthroid, just levothyroxine, works for millions and millions of people very, very well. So there's really no reason to be afraid of it you know, or worried about it. But there are some people that are just going to do so much better on Nature Throid or armor thyroid or something else. So there's no single best, you know, medication for everyone. As far as, you know, why she wouldn't prescribe it, you know, most conventional doctors, uh, they just stick with, with Synthroid and that's it. So it's just a matter of finding someone else who's more open to prescribing something. And, and you can, um, like, so let me just make sure. So who was that? Pamela. So Pamela in Atlanta could call you, correct? So instead of having to go to uh, her primary care physician, she can call you, Dr. Hedberg, and she can do all this. You can do her blood work for her, uh, you know, at her local lab core or wherever, and you can do all of this with her over the phone, correct? So she can see your levels and, and you could prescribe to her what she needs. Is that right? Well, I don't prescribe medication, so she'd have okay. to get that from her from a local doctor. Okay. Um, yeah, but we can figure out what all the other think? reasons why the the thyroid isn't functioning well. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. All right, and this is from Jill in Hampton. Uh, can you explain the difference between Armour Thyroid and Nature Thyroid? 
In your podcast with Elle, she recommended NatureThroid, but when I Googled it, I read that both medicines contain 38 micrograms of T4 and 9 micrograms of T3. So how can they be different? She never said why NatureThroid was better. This was another guest that we had on the show, and I guess she had answered that. Um, she had she had said she prefers NatureThroid, so she, this is where this question is coming from. Right. So again, there's no best, you know, single best medication out there. Um, some patients just won't really do well on nature throw it at all. And then when they try armor, they feel great and vice versa. So it just depends on the individual. The real difference is just in the, the fillers and what's used. So nature throw it is uh, quote unquote, a little bit cleaner. It doesn't have the same fillers that armor thyroid has, but they both have T4 and T3 in uh, fairly exact doses, so they are very similar in that regard. Okay. Aaron in Greensboro says, I read a book by Dr. Rom called The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, and she said that 95% of Americans have been affected by the Epstein-Barr virus, which is in the same family as herpes. She said that HBV is a huge reason why you can get chronic fatigue, chronic aches and pains, and even Hashimoto's. I'm extremely tired, my muscles ache, and so much so that I can't function. My doctor has told me that I don't have the Epstein-Barr virus right now, but it showed in my system that I've had it at one point. Can you expand on how Epstein-Barr virus, can you expand on what Epstein-Barr virus is and how you can heal it? We all have Epstein-Barr virus by the time we're teenagers. So it's 95% of the world has it. So we all have it. The question is, is it active or not? One of the things we know is that people with Hashimoto's or any autoimmune disease, genetically, they have a difficult time keeping the Epstein-Barr virus deactivated. So it is a herpes virus like chickenpox. So you get chickenpox and then, it, and then uh, the virus gets deactivated, but the virus is there for the rest of your life. And then it can come out uh, at any time and cause shingles. So Epstein-Barr is the same way. You get it, you get mono, it goes away, hopefully for life. But if it reactivates, then it can start to cause these problems like the fatigue and aches and pains and Hashimoto's and things like that. So it is something I see a lot of in practice, and then we do uh, we do target that directly. And do you think that taking um, like heavy amounts of probiotics really helps with that? There's a few dozen different products that target Epstein-Barr virus, and that's really going to be tailored to the individual patient, depending on what they have, because some of those compounds how they cross over into other areas. And so some of them you'd want to use in one patient, some of them you wouldn't want to use in another patient. Mm -hmm. So it's very specific in how you work with, with Epstein-Barr. Gotcha. All right. This is our last question. It's Heather in South Carolina. After listening to your podcast, I went to CVS and purchased several blood glucose monitors. I wanted to have one in my purse, one in my office, and one at home, and tried a couple different brands. She, she really went all out. 
She says, I got home and I wanted to test them out. And I was surprised that I had different readings from every monitor. I took my blood four times, all within 20 seconds of each other, all on different fingers. And these were the readings. One was 110, 82, 90, and 98. Is this as simple as a variation in the different brands? If so, how do I know which reading was accurate? That is a big difference between 82 and 110. Did I do something wrong? Heather in South Carolina. Yeah, I don't really have a good explanation for that other than the variation in, in the different brands and units. I mean, if they're, they were all taken that close together, mm-hmm. then they should be very, very close. So. Yeah. You know, I, I've done that one time, not with different, different uh, monitors, but I did it one time with my own monitor. I took my blood and it seemed really high and I was like, that is odd. And then I took it again and it, it came back low. So I think they are just, they can only be, but so accurate, I guess, when they're doing it, um, with that. Well, awesome. Well, we have just enjoyed having you so much. And so if someone wants to get in contact with you, Dr. Hedberg, tell us your website and the best way for them to get in contact with you. So my website is drhedberg.com, drhedberg.com. That's really the best way to to connect with me. And you can listen to your podcast um, on, if you just, I think it's called the Dr. Hedberg show, right? If you want to find it. I have a a page for that on my website. You'll see uh, the Dr. Hedberg show on the website. And we'll list that in the comments and we'll list uh, the Amazon link to your book as well. So I highly recommend your book. It's absolutely fantastic. So if anyone wants to get that, if you're having any kind of thyroid issues, it's like, do not pass go, do not collect $200. You need to listen, start listening to his podcast and get that book right away. So, all right. Well, thanks so much. We really enjoyed having you and I would love to have a consult with you as well. So I'm going to definitely sign up. And if you guys have any questions that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayWay.com and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at ChantelRayWay.com. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com coaching. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.